Where are all my friends? Tatiana De Maria. Did I do it? That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm stoked on this one. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is one of those ones where I like our story and I'm excited to hear more of your story because we have that friendship story where it's like, wait a minute, we were on the same tours together forever ago and didn't become friends until a little bit later. Mm. Uh, but then when we did connect and started to hang out a little bit more recently in L.A., it was like one of those, one of those to me moments of like, damn, I really respect what you're doing. And Thanks, man. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of knowing what you're up to. And this podcast is all about like learning about exceptional people and telling these stories. So uh, thank you for being here for real. You're very kind. Thank you. And the feeling is mutual. So it's lovely to sit down and hang. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I made a tea for the podcast. That's rare that I do that, but that's a vibe. I feel like okay. I'm in like a cozy, like I'm in a mode. I'm what excited. flavor did you go for? All right, so I'm a little bit of a psycho, but I do. I think what the what what British people would call a, a builder's tea. Mm -hmm. So an English black English, breakfast yeah, tea. Yeah, English breakfast. Yeah, tea. with a spot of sugar and milk, <laughs> right here at 7:30 p.m. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. But yeah, I guess for anybody who doesn't know, to start the podcast off, I always just do like a quick, like who you are and what you do, mm. which for you, I think might uh, have a couple of different, different bits to it. Um, yeah. Well, I, um, my name's Tatiana De Maria and uh, a musician. I write and produce my music and I tour it. And I started doing that um, very young. I had a lot of anxiety as a young teenager and I was struggling a lot. And I found that music was the only thing that made me feel better. And I think so many people around the world can can resonate with music saved my life, right? In, in one way or another. Yeah. And I found out like a decade later that I had synesthesia, that I have synesthesia in a bunch of different forms. Um, so it just, it's always like bad music will make me feel car sick or seasick. So, if, and it's really hard to go shopping in malls sometimes just because of, because of the music playing. So I realized in time that it just affected me in a lot of ways. And the positives were so awesome and so beautiful for me that I just got sucked right in. There was always music playing around the house. No one was playing instruments, but we like our parents got us on piano at like the age of four, like learn. And two oh, years later, wow. we we're like, fuck authority. Like, fuck, I Wait, don't want to practice. Can you explain though? Synesthesia, is that where you feel or is it where you see it? it it's crossing of the senses. Uh -huh. um, and then you can have it in different forms. So okay. there's uh, different varieties. Uh, and I have a, a few different varieties. So a lot of people will see you know, visuals, um, when they hear noise, I get physical sensations when I hear noise. So I, it's like, I get a face massage or a shoulder rub or like, like, um, warm fuzzies when I hear certain things. And then I have like colors for letters and days of the week. And then I have spatial synesthesia. So like everything's always in the same space. So think about your, like your week, right? In your head, how's like the week laid out? Uh, it starts on Monday. Where's Monday? Monday's on the left. Monday's on the left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it would be like I'm reading a book. Like it would be okay, like great. if I were reading a page of a book, mm -hmm. Monday would start the first, uh, or if I'm reading a, a, a line of text on a yeah. book, Monday is the first word on the left and then Sunday would be the end of that line and then it would go down. Okay, great. And do they have colors as well? No, black okay. and white. Okay, well, that's cool. So, <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> um, so I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not, uh, like an expert on synesthesia. All I know is that um, in my personal experience, so then the days of the week always have the same colors for my whole life and words will have 
colors. So for example, Wednesday is always green. And the way I found this out was speaking to a friend and I was like, I've never really asked someone what color their Wednesday is. So I was like, what color is your Wednesday? She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was no like, way. fuck am I talking about? What are you talking about? And she's like, it's not a color. I was like, how is it not a color? So it was just funny, but she was like, oh, maybe you have synesthesia, blah, blah, blah. So we talked about it. Yeah, there's that. Then there's, uh, you know, months of the year numbers. So all sorts of different things that kind of cross over. Is it as stereotypical as something like passionate being read or like, I'm so interested in this. I've never actually talked to somebody that could explain it as well as you. Um, or well, is it like no rhyme or reason? Is it just like certain things? Like if I were to say like uh, the laptop and then you'd have a color that goes along with a word like laptop or is it only certain words? Well, it's funny that you say that because I guess there's different, um, there's flavors as well. Like some, some words. So there's so many different types. Like when I'm writing songs, for example, if a sentence looks too yellow in my head or is too sharp or is too thin or is too like citrus, as random as this sounds, yes. I'll be like, it's out of balance. It's out of wax. Like a whack. I don't want like a sharp or citrus tasting word in this sentence. Like I want something more blue and weighty. So it's just, it, it's kind of a subconscious process. Now I'm yeah. sure that, you know, in alphabets, like to me, A is red, yeah. B is blue, C is yellow, right? And they always have been, but I'm also sure that when we look around in the world, A's are often red, yeah. B is often blue, C is often yellow, I think, I don't know, I'm not sure, maybe I'm making it up. But the the common thread is that whatever color things are, they sort of stay that way your whole life. So things. for you living with it, you're probably so accustomed to it as something just, that's just there as second nature that going through life and doing something on a Wednesday or writing a <laughs> sentence or meeting a person and thinking with this, it's just almost like an aid. It's just part of it as you're speaking or thinking, you have colors facilitating it or going along with it. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I don't think I ever really registered it as being something that was facilitating something. Cause I think it's just, you just think, oh yeah, this is the way the world works. It's yeah. like, if you're colorblind and you don't realize. Right. And then it's someone's like the opposite like, of that almost though. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've found that it helps with memory in terms of like, okay, I'll remember someone's birthday because I'll know that it's blue. Um, or I'll, you know, yeah, there's different, there's different things that I do find helpful. And I, I love it now that I got to know it. I used to, I used to be with my band and I'm like, that harmony's right. It's a face massage. And they'd be like, you fucking weirdo. And I was like, why are they always taking the piss? Because yeah. I thought, I was just like, no, this is how this feels. We all feel this, right? We're all in the room together. Right. And I'd go to a gallery and I'd see a green and just be like, I need to stuff my face in it. Yeah. And I was like, I need to lick that. <laughs> so yeah, you sound like a fucking weirdo. Yeah. But your bandmates are like, for fuck's sake, here she goes. And for <laughs> years, I was just this fucking weirdo that was like, oh. So it was actually quite nice. To be like, oh, that's why they keep calling me a fucking weirdo. And that's why they're always laughing at to me. To at least put, put a finger on it and say, oh, I get that this is different from yeah, others. Yeah, I just thought they were yeah. being dickheads. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why are you going to be shy about the fact that you want to lick a green? Who doesn't want to lick that green fucking painting right now? It's like my mind is exploding. <laughs> You're like, come on. Yeah, come exactly. with me. It's right there. <laughs> exactly. That's so, insane. That's so cool. I'm fascinated by that. I've, I've never... I've heard the word said, and sometimes on the podcast, there's like, there's two tendencies, right? Like as I'm listening, I'm actively listening while I'm trying to guide a story, but there will be something that piques my interest. I'll be like, wait a minute. And I have to have that like humility or, or like the honesty to be like, I actually don't know what that is. <laughs> and when I stop and say that and ask, I learn these crazy things. So like that moment where you're like synesthesia, I was like, wait a minute. 
tell me more. And that's, I've never heard anyone explain it like that. That's really Damn. cool. Yeah. It's, I think I found myself in a very similar position actually going, what do you mean Yeah. to my friend and then going down the rabbit hole. But, you know, I think as I was saying, there's so many different varieties. Yeah. And the most common one is, you know, people will have l colors for letters, yeah. colors for maybe days of the week or numbers. Letters and numbers, I think is the most common. Yeah. And with music, I found that a lot of musicians who have synesthesia, the common thread is generally they'll see notes and colors. Uh, um, I found out over the course of the years that I have like four or five different forms of it. Um, but again, it depends on the person. It depends on, you know, what their experience of synesthesia is, but fundamentally it's the crossing of the senses. So wow. you see a word, you taste something, you hear music, you feel something. So it's just, instead of interpreting things in a, in such a linear fashion, I guess, or well, not such a linear fashion, but you know yeah. what I mean? It just, the senses cross and you have slightly different Oh, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm thinking of it a little bit closed-minded. It's not just associating colors to things. It's purely crossing senses. It's Absolutely. Oh, wow. But then, okay. And I'm sure we'll get into this because this is like you two seconds into your story. And then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> but as a, as an artist and somebody who's especially like such a songwriter, I wonder you probably paint this, you probably write songs in such a different visceral way, like where you like have a whole different uh cookbook or like you know like when you write a song like your lyrics probably i don't know i could only assume but if you see colors of notes you're probably visually seeing what your song looks like well at the same time do like lyrics affect you in that way too like do you yeah i mean it's funny because i think i of of all the traits that i see musicians talk about or all the traits that that singular main trait that people like i see colors and i've met musicians who are like that's the only form of synesthesia i have like i'll see colors and notes. And I'm like, oh, or, or visuals. And I find that really interesting because that's not, I don't, with music, I don't go as visual. Now, oh, wow. each instrument has its own color based on the feeling mm -hmm. to me. And in my sessions, it can get really annoying because I don't want to look at an orange guitar, mm. but in my head, it looks orange to me. So I'm like, fuck, it just, the way I'll organize my sessions is based on the colors I see. So it's not necessarily individual notes, but it is instruments, it's sounds, they all again have colors. But I guess for me in particular, it's just, you know, my process is my own. I wouldn't know how to differentiate it from someone else's. I, I definitely enjoy it, but like every fucking songwriter, I'm gonna have days where I go, that melody fucking sucks ass. And yeah. I am writing a pile of shit and that feels crap. And then there are other days where I'll be like, oh, this feels good. But you know, it's, we don't always stop and look at how our brain's processing. We just kind of get on with it in life. And that's very much how it is. Yeah. But you also have people who have incredible forms of synesthesia where there's a guy who was it flying over New York once, looking at New York once, and then drew it all from memory. And someone was referencing that as synesthesia. I didn't look deep into the story, at least I've forgotten, but um, there's, yeah, different forms that are super interesting. Right, right. So then for him visually, that could have triggered something that then gives him this full map type thing. Like, it's just like, I get it. It's a crossing of the senses. Mm. Wow. Um, okay. Well, craziest intro sidebar ever, <laughs> but thank you for that. And I, I love that. So very early age, you were playing music. You grew up, where were you born? Where, where did you grow up? London. In? London. Okay. And so, did you spend most of your years there? Like, yeah, as uh, a kid? 50, 50 between London and Paris. Wow. My parents, uh, fled Lebanon during the civil war. Whoa. Um, so it got violent and there was bombing. And so, you know, after going through that for about a year, they left Lebanon, moved mm -hmm. to England. And that's where they had 
my siblings and myself. I'm the youngest. Fuck yes. <laughs> Where are you in the sibling chart? I am a half brother. So I only have okay. I have an older half brother. So I'm the youngin, but like half young. in the Let's go, baby. Yeah. Fuck yes. Okay. That's funny. You have that too? Um no, I'm just I'm the youngest of four. Okay, the youngins, yeah. <laughs> that that does something to you, doesn't it? That's yeah, gotta I mean, be like the youngest sibling is definitely a thing. Oh, I mean, every sibling is a thing. Right. Every, yes. every, and it's so funny. I love, I mean, I do love trying to guess and meeting people and be like, where are you yeah. in the pecking order? <laughs> yeah. You can spot a youngest from a mile off as well. Yeah. Um, but I found that ironically, I've, I ended up dating the eldest and I was like, looking back at my relationships and I thought, how interesting, but also because the eldest know how to deal with the youngest. Oh, like in your relationships, the eldest of like, like you'd meet somebody that was an eldest sibling and you'd be like, that was the one you were attracted to for whatever you had that pattern. It's not that there was like a line of siblings and I was like, that one, it's just (laughs) in in talking. (laughs) Yeah, right. What was it, the MTV show where they come off the bus? Yo, someone needs to make this reality show of like, <laughs> which sibling pecking order are you? Like, where are you? Who are you going to date? That would be a very interesting social study to see that. Like, if you could. Like, I mean, someone out there is going to be like, oh, my God, I've got this idea. Let's do fucking siblings dating. You heard it different first. Orders. Yeah. Where are all my friends? You're welcome. <laughs> um, damn. OK, so youngest sibling growing up in London, splitting your time between Paris. So when I was um, six we moved to Paris Sick. and then uh, lived there till I was about 14, 15, and then moved back to London. Finished school there, but also started touring. Oh, and wow. I wrote my first album uh, with my band. So my band was called Tat, it's mm-hmm. called Tat. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the album when I was about 15, 16. Wow. And started recording it when I was in high school and then started playing shows as well in high school. And so we got very lucky and did wonderful tours and Reading Festival and Donington Festival, and then um, got a spot on the Warp Tour. So we came out and played the Warp Tour, which was fun. Yeah, So what, it was, what year was that, that first oh gosh, Warp Tour spot? I don't know, a long time ago, I don't remember, but I was I was still a baby and you still a young teen. So. I mean, that's, that's really uh, remarkable festivals to play and like, cool lineups to be a part of at that young age. I feel super lucky. I mean, yeah. I I was managed by a wonderful manager at the time who had managed Paul McCartney and been a vice president of Sony and head of Polydor. And we kind of like, I met him or at least I, I found him and I was like, I know this dude. Cause I had a friend and it was like some, it was a friend who I knew, a friend's friend's dad. And I was like, I'm going to give him a demo of something. Mm. And I was just playing music every day. Mm. I was about 14 and I remember being like, hi, I want to like talk to you about music. And he was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Like right. some kid. And he's like, I'm going to have to tell her she sucks. And yeah. I don't want to do that. So he pawned me off to a guy called Tim. And he was like, Tim will do some demos for you. And then he's like, I feel like I did a good thing for this kid, but then yep. I don't have to be involved. Yep. And so Tim is awesome. Tim Van Der Kill, who now plays guitar with Adele. And wonderful dude, awesome guitarist and musical director as well for Mika. So he's just wonderful dude. And we started making demos. I would go to his place after school and he had a little rig and we'd record songs. And we did the first song. And then I was like, cool, this is really fun. And I got a call from the manager the next day, which was out of the blue because I didn't expect him to reach out. Suddenly he's calling me and he's like, Hi. So, uh, so I, uh, I heard this song and I was like, Oh, cool. And he's like, <laughs> is this your best song then? And I was like, I have no fucking idea. Like right. I hadn't finished any songs until right. then. I just have this pile of songs. We recorded another song and 
he, the manager had a similar reaction. Yeah. And then the third song, he was like, I want to manage you. Wow. And I was like, what the fuck? Wow. And so it was really awesome. Tim was wonderfully supportive. And so this guy was started managing me. So we worked together for two years. It was awesome. And we did a lot of cool things in that yeah. window of time, but he had a family emergency. So he retired from management and moved to Brazil. Mm. And um, at that point I ended up taking on the management for the band and just going, okay, I'd learned a lot in those two years. Yeah. I knew we wanted to come out to the US and play Warp Tour because I was watching all these tours being like, fuck yes, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And we got lucky, a girl called Shira Girl. Yeah. Or Shira. Yeah. Um, who you know. Yeah. She heard our, our record in England. Yeah. She heard like a demo and was like, come play Warp Tour. So we went and did that. And then Kevin Lyman saw us play on the Warp Tour. And next thing we knew we were touring the Warp Tour and then wonderfully lucky Fat Mike took us on a bunch of tours with no the Gimme Gimmies with no effects. No way. Um, it was just, it was cool. Bad Religion took us out, Pennywise, Alice Cooper. Like it just, it was really fun. And we just started doing a lot of tours in the US. I and have a, a, like a pause question with all this because it's like so special. Like what you're saying right there is so special, but I'm curious of like the young you, because clearly you were playing music from mm. a very young age, your parents teaching you piano, even if you're rebelling or not, like you're around music. <laughs> I wish I didn't stop. Like right. from four to six, I played piano and I was like, you motherfucker, right? I'm going to make sure my kids, I'm like, however I make this fun for yeah. you. Be like, here's this play. totally whack instrument that I don't <laughs> even want in the house. <laughs> yeah, right. I would suck if someone knew how to play it and the kids yeah. really, uh, but like for you, it's so interesting when I talk to my friends who are like professional musicians, because there's a lot of times that I hear this, this feeling of there's no other option. Like mm. the idea of working a traditional job is like life with the volume at like two, like you can't do it for you. Was it strategic? Like obviously you recorded those demos at such a young age, but leading up to that, like did it feel like there was strategy in that? Or were you kind of just following the like, I love doing this, we'll see what happens? Did you think that it was gonna be? Like, was it all in, like eggs in the basket, I'm gonna be an artist? Like, what did That's that feel That's a really like? interesting question um, because this is super random. I wasn't playing an instrument. I hadn't picked up the guitar. I wasn't writing songs. Oh. But I, I just like was obsessed with music. Okay, yeah. But at the age of nine, Mm. While I'm being obsessed with music, I was like, Michael Jackson had his first hit when he was 10, like I have one year. Mm. And, and I don't know oh why. I don't know why that was a thought. Oh my and God, the, and now I'm just laughing you. my ass off at my nine-year-old self being like, come on. That's um, insane. Because there was no context for it. It's not yeah. like I was like, here I am playing music. And I wasn't, I wasn't even taking piano lessons. Do you know what I mean? I was mm. doing nothing, mm. but something in my head was thinking that. And I remember thinking that musicians maybe I saw movies where I just watched movies about jazz musicians and, you know, the struggle of being a musician. So in my head, it was never really a, yo, this could be a life thing. Right. But okay. at the same time, I had simultaneous thoughts of just, well, MJ had a hit when he was 10, which is kind of neither here nor there. I just loved listening to MJ. Yeah. So how that planted itself in my head, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and when I was 11, I started playing guitar. Okay. And I took like four guitar lessons, which was great. And mm -hmm. then I was like, cool, lessons aren't so much for me. I'm gonna go learn on the internet. So yeah. I did that. Yeah. And then, yeah, just started writing songs and it was just a bit obsessive. I yeah. found that it was the thing that just made me feel the best. It just made me feel better, yeah. got rid of any anxiety and I just couldn't not do it. I was just yeah. obsessively listening to stuff. 
So less about strategy and master plan and more about like purely just on a very genuine level, doing what you loved and doing the thing that made you feel good. Yeah. There was a really beautiful innocence to how it came about because I also realized when I went through, like I started going to therapy when I was like 12, 13. And at that time, I remember really struggling and realizing again that music was the only thing that made me feel better. Wow. And it was hearing the lyrics in punk rock. It was hearing the lyrics in gangster rap. It was hearing truth. It was hearing people talk about real shit. Wow. And then it was resonance. It was melodies. It was, you know, when you have distortion and that gives your adrenaline and your anxiety a place to go. Yeah. Um, that was amazing. And then I remember when I started writing songs, it was the most genuine, pure experience of, I want to give people what music has given me. Mm. And I was still in that state of suffering. So it, it you know, as a young teenager, that's, it was the newest thing to me going, yeah. holy fuck, I found the cure. Yeah. This is the cure. Like, yeah. oh my God, let me try and create this and share yeah. it. Yeah. And then over the years, you know, you start touring and then you realize, okay, if you want to tour, you've got to monetize some aspects so you can pay for the petrol, you can pay for the van, and then you've got to pay to make your merch. And all these different elements start to come into play. So you really want to mind your brain and just be like, hang on, I have the coolest job in the world and it can keep being cool or it can be incredibly painful and miserable, Mm. which a lot of musicians are experiencing. And we talked about what we're building in Web3 specifically for that reason, because musicians have a very, very hard time just making music. Now we have musicians that are making music for the sake of going viral, making TikTok songs. And a lot of the time that like, I don't really want to do it. I'd love to just make the shit I make authentically. And I'm like, fuck, if that's the sentence, if it's like, you can't make what's authentically you and what is driving your soul. Yeah, go back to young you, like what the fuck is the point? Like that is not it. But at the same time, you know, when you're a musician going, okay, well, how do I monetize? How do I get new fans? Mm -hmm. If you want new fans, you have to grow on socials by either posting loads of content, which Mm -hmm. makes you a full-time content creator, which is a full-time job and exhausting. And a lot of musicians are not comfortable doing that. Like, I don't want to make this, like, what am I going to play every day in videos? What am I going to create? Am I going to do dances? And for anyone, I'm like, be authentic. Like, if this is the shit you do, just do it. And let the people who are going to resonate, resonate. Just if you want to post, if you want to take that avenue, yeah, find a way to manage your time and do what's authentic to you. Mm. Let that be. Yeah. And then the other side of it is, okay, well, I don't want to do that. All right. Well, you can do collabs. You can try and get on playlists or you end up trying to advertise. And where do you get the budget to advertise? Well, you're not getting any royalties on streaming or they're so low. Right. So anyway, it's a whole, it's a whole thing that essentially has put musicians in a position where they feel like they have to post a fuck ton of content yep. just to be heard. Yeah. Or maybe you're signing label deals that aren't necessarily right for you. you yeah. Know, just giving away rights early and, and just hoping that other teams can, that promise a certain amount of promotion or something like that, you know? So you don't have to do that part and you can just put your thing out. Yeah. And it's so funny because you always end up having to do it anyway. Like yeah. a label might sign you, but then they'll still look to the artist and be like, okay, so are you posting on TikTok every day? Are you posting on Instagram every day? And so it, it can be a super painful place for musicians to be. Yeah. And we've seen it in music, right? A lot of viral music is one song. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of 
kids talking about their frustration in terms of going, yes, this is where we discover music, but we're frustrated to not find an artist behind it or an album or a catalog or a touring artist. It's sometimes just remixes that people make and throw out there. Right. There, there are plenty of wonderful artists creating great things on socials. It's not to take, take away from anyone no. whose medium that is, but there is a bit of everything in the world. It's and just an interesting shift. Because as we get into this, because I actually really want to dig into Web3, because I think that that's a big part of your story. And I, I think your evolution as an artist. Um, but there's two things, and, and one of them very much flows right into that, which is your sense of uh, business and, and what goes around being an artist. And I'm curious about that. But even before that, the, the one thing that stuck out to me is you're like you were saying all your touring and all of that, right? And you were also talking about being a kid pretty early and like dealing with some anxiety and like, you know, really feeling that you strike me as so confident and like <laughs> you as the artist, right? Like the, everything I see of you as an artist of tat and anything you've done, I'm just like, dude, like you're, you're a fucking rock star. <laughs> thank Where, you. You're welcome. Where do you think that came from? Well, firstly, thank you. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's interesting because I was having a conversation with someone recently. We're talking about stress and we're talking about digestion and everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, stress will cause that. Stress will cause everything. Yeah. And they looked at me and they're like, you're stressed? <laughs> and I just thought it was the most odd question to be asked because I was like, if you've hung out with anyone for, for more than an hour, two hours, you know, I, I'm, I've definitely loaded my plate with a lot of stuff. And yes, inherently there is stress. Yeah. But I, it was interesting to me to have someone look at me and assume that I didn't experience stress. Mm. And that was mm. fairly eye-opening to me because I was like, how do I come across that that you look at me and think I don't stress? Right. And what I would say is, you know, it's to me, it's about managing stress. There's good stress, there's less good stress. Mm. I think I've always been the same person. As a kid, you know, your mom will tell you if you're like at school and you're like, oh, I like this boy or whatever. And your mom's, or mom's, women are always taught to like laugh at a man's joke. You know, mm. this is just the shit you hear as a kid. And I yeah. was like, if it's not funny, I don't want to laugh. And it's like, well, don't correct the boys at school because it'll emasculate them and then they won't fancy you. And I was like, but if it's stupid, then I, I don't, I don't get, I, I just couldn't understand this playing a part. Yeah. And so I think that I've always found myself looking back. I've found that I've always kind of relentlessly been myself. Yo. Um, and that's, it's just the way I've felt comfortable. I think I've struggled to fit different molds. Yeah. Um, and like anyone in life, we're at school, you know, we like friends. The Spice Girls was a huge trend. Now, mm. as cool as that is and looking back, I'm like, fuck yes. I was really into punk rock at the time. Mm. And so there were trends I just didn't quite fit into. And yeah. I was a tomboy growing up. Yeah. And so there was enough things that were a bit different that yeah. it was kind of just a journey of of always inhabiting my own path i think in retrospect it's clearer to see that way yeah yeah and then definitely. you know anxiety there's a lot you know i grew up in a household where the news was always on and we were always uh -huh. trying to watch for news of you know my parents home being destroyed and people dying and, and trauma around that you know my parents never dragged us into dark conversation. Um, they're always peace and love for everyone and every race on the planet, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I, I came from a really open background, but there was still that tension that you grow up with yeah. and still uh, the reality. And we went back to Beirut towards the end of the war and then spent 10 years spending, you know, four, to four months every year in Lebanon from the end of the war 
to reconstructing. So, and we still go back, my parents are still there. So watching Beirut rebuild, the experience of being in post-war Beirut is wonderful to me. And it's extremely rare, I think, in a lifetime to be able to live in a country that's gone through 20 years of civil war and the bliss that comes when the war ends wow. is exceptional. <laughs> and that's something that those will be 10 of my favorite years in life of wow. really experiencing relief, bliss, kindness to a level that, you know, we don't really experience here in the West because we, we're very lucky. We have a lot of things. But that was definitely one of my favorite periods in life. Mm. Um, and all of that to say that there were a lot of things when I went into therapy, it was very much around, you know, uprooting and lack mm. of safety and lack of all sorts of things around me that's psychologically cool. You'll have anxiety but I don't think it changed the essence of, I think, who I was already becoming. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say, mm. really fucking long-winded way I of saying, <laughs> ultimately, I think I've always been the same person. I've always recognized the same energy. I'll look at younger pictures of myself and I'm like, shit, I feel like the exact same person. I feel the same exact way. Fuck yes, that's the way to be, baby. Yes. Or at least I think it's just, it tells me that I'm following my heart. Yeah. Because it is too easy to try and tick boxes in life. Yeah. So I'm grateful that I've managed to find a path for myself where I can be true to myself and be happy there. Yeah. But by the time I had spent years in therapy, yeah. I was like, I initially went in for like fear of flying or something. And oh, I'd wow. been flying a lot, but I was like, something isn't right. And I was just severely anxious and depressed a lot of the time. And I was going to high school every day, but no one knew that I was doing that or going to therapy. It just wasn't really something people talked about. And England is a bit, was a bit more closed off. Sure. Yeah. Americans, you I know, think, I came out I here. I think just years ago, it was more closed off. It's true. Yeah. It's true. hundred yeah. percent. And then this dialogue, this, these conversations, it was just like a little bit more of like, you're embarrassed about it. Like it's, it's only more recently that I think people are so open to it. It's true. Maybe it's you just true. felt that. And I mean, maybe I'm not saying that that's wrong. No, no, we it's probably it's Everybody probably felt that where they were at. They would probably say, oh, my hometown was like that. But I think just as like the general timeline of society. You no, know? you're 100% right. The only difference I found was when I came to the US, people yeah. were like, I'm on pills. I'm on oh, pills. Like, oh. I was like, everyone's on fucking pills yeah. out here. Okay, I'm, cool. I'm masking my problems with this. <laughs> I was like, wow, well, the US is just like popping them. Let's go. Yeah. And then, you know, you dig deeper and you find that there's a lot more to do with medication out here in general. Yeah. But with that said, I remember coming off tour, I was burnt out. Mm. And I was just like, how the fuck am I still having anxiety? I've been in therapy on and off for 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, you're touring, like at this point, like you're going up on stage, you're performing to crowds, like you're, that could be mistaken as confidence. Like at that point in your life, like you could definitely be like, I'm here. Well, so. it's interesting. Cause I think that they both coexisted. You know, mm -hmm. I was very mm -hmm. happy going on stage. Yeah, I wasn't nervous to go on stage. I enjoy getting on stage. I feel at home. I feel comfortable. I get to just, you know, sing my songs, belt, have a great time. But before and after, mm. and it had nothing to do with the stage. It might have had something to do with the flight I had to take or mm. traveling to one place or another or just where I was mm. or just latent anxiety that was just there for the sake mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. So music was definitely an outlet which was amazing. And I'd always seen musicians talk about it, but I didn't quite understand how it related to me. I was just like, yeah, I do it and it feels good. Other mm -hmm. than music makes me feel good. Yeah. This like, I need to channel my truth and things. I, yeah. I, it was just something I was doing. All of that to say that I then was like, fuck man, therapy is, is okay. 
but how have I been in therapy for years and I'm still suffering? Mm. So I basically stopped therapy, stopped taking anything and went down path of exploring every different type of wellness. Wow. And I started yoga young and meditation young, and I've been meditating for maybe 14 years um, now. And it, it's wonderful. There are so many things from hypnotherapy, acupuncture. I was like, I'm fucking trying everything. Wow. Because I was pissed. So you did a lot of self-work, like legitimately. Like you did a lot of work to figure things out for yourself and find your Absolutely. solution. Absolutely. It wasn't just, oh, this is a thing that I feel like. You're like, how do I fix this? Like, Oh, actually. I was so pissed. I was like, how is it that you, I went to, you can go to every doctor and no one is able to just look at you and say, as a human, mm this is what's going on. Mm. And I found that the people who were able to do that, it was generally Chinese medicine mm. mixed with Western medicine. Chinese medicine can tell you a lot, obviously. Mm. And it's fantastic. So I went down so many different paths and I just got hell bent on understanding what was up. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, wanting to help people. And I realized that that was the common thread too, is, you know, when you're in pain and you see someone else in pain, you're like, I don't want anyone to feel that because it's right. the worst feeling. 100%. So that's been a passion of mine over the years is wanting to help and finding different ways to try and help. And I'm lucky that, you know, through music, I can interact with people. Yeah. Um, the best tour we did was one where every stop someone came up and was like, I stopped, you know, I had a, I had a drug addiction and I stopped because of this particular song or wow. this song made me feel great or this song saved my life. You know, I never want to take right. that credit, but hearing people say it. Yeah. You're like, shit, I'm doing something right. If it's yeah. helping one person in every city, like I'm happy with that. Deep yeah. down a path of wellness. And I think that's, you hit the nail on the head, um, which is I haven't felt that level of anxiety mm. in years. Wow. And there came a point when I, when I kind of burnt out, I'd just come off a tour, it was years ago. And I was just like, yeah, okay. I feel really burnt out didn't quite clock that it was burnout yeah. and things spiraled. Mm. And that's when I got deep into wellness. And that's just when I got deep into wanting to find solutions mm. and was hell bent on getting past it. And I did eventually and found ways to just manage. And so I think, I think that's also why I was surprised when someone's like, what you get stressed. I'm like, yes, but cool that I guess it doesn't look like it because actually I am happy every day. And I am able to manage my stress yeah. and I am able to not have anxiety and live life and do a lot of things. So actually to a large degree, no, I don't experience stress in debilitating ways. I experience pressure because yeah. I have timelines, I have deadlines. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on, but I don't experience the same fear and anxiety that goes with it. Yeah. I, and I think a big part of that is from years of learning and years of developing also feeling a hundred percent responsible a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So, so it's almost, I mean, I hope I'm not like, like, uh, putting words in your mouth, but like what I'm hearing is like, it got better when you confronted it, when you just like actually looked at it and put the work in to be like, why am I feeling this way? And it wasn't like one aha moment or anything like that. It was just the time you put in to actually address it and be like, oh shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think different things also affect different things, right? Like competence breeds confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are afraid of something in life, mm -hmm. um, a lot of things that we struggle with center around, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I think that if you're not good enough, get better. 
if, if that's yeah. what you feel and i'm talking about a skill i'm not saying as a human you're a piece yeah, of shit yeah. like get better yeah but what i am saying is like oh i don't know if i'm good enough at doing this thing commit to it yeah and i think it's commitment is very very underrated because mm. commitment comes before motivation for the most part yeah so if you commit to something it's the committing to it every single day even when you don't want to do it yeah that allows you to start to see results. Oh my God. And, and the then, results show you the possibility. And then you can start feeling better. And motivated because you're like, oh, this actually can work. But it's hard because what we're then doing is working against our subconscious half the time. Like mm -hmm. obviously, as we know, the brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's fake, mm. but it does serve to protect you. Yes. So if we're talking about your reptilian brain, your fight or flight, when you, if you're a smoker, for example, you identify with being a smoker, you go out, you buy a pack of cigarettes because that's who you are, that's what you do. Mm. A non-smoker doesn't go out and buy a pack of cigarettes because that's not in their identity, in their subconscious, it's not what they do. So let's say you want to stop smoking. Nicotine is generally out of your system in a few days, but a lot of people still identify with the need to smoke and still go and buy packs of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you try and change anything in your life, when you go, I wanna do this new thing. At the end of January, 95% of people have given up on their new year's resolutions. But when you decide you wanna change anything, what happens is you consciously go, I wanna change. Mm. And you start making those changes, but your subconscious, your reptilian brain will say, hang on a sec, my whole job is to keep things steady and stable. You're trying to change, I don't like change. Mm -hmm. So even if you're trying to do something that will benefit you, like quit smoking, mm -hmm. your brain will tell you, nope, that's a, chain, a change, I don't wanna do that. And it'll pull you back into your own habits. Yeah. So even when we try and change, our brain thinks it's protecting us yeah. by bringing us back into old habits, which is why committing through that and committing over how you feel, Yeah. It's not about how you're feeling today. Like if, if you just did whatever you felt every day, yeah. you'd never be able to stick to a goal and just achieve it. Right. So to me, there's a lot of power in just committing and following through. If you've decided to commit, um, commit no matter how you feel. Well, thank you for that. Because I know again, like there was just something where I'm like, I want to know that about you. Um, the other thing that stands out to me is as you started to talk about Web3, as you started to talk about the journey as an artist, you touched on something that's extremely important is the fact that along with being a creative and making all of these things, you have to learn, you're basically becoming an influencer in this day and age, but you, you have to learn about business. You have to learn about how to survive as an artist. So there's a lot more than just making the thing. Mm. And you strike me again, as that's something that I'm very impressed by. It's like, you figured this out very well. And now I see you doing it in a way where specifically talking like web three, like, yes, of course you had to like step up and figure out management on your own. And you've figured out a lot of these things, but I haven't seen anybody embrace web three fully like yourself, especially as an artist and especially as the applications that you're playing with and some of the things you're speaking on. And you're very involved in that space. And I don't want this to be the like everybody buzzword things, but if there's going to be anyone that can talk about it and shed some light on it, it's you. So I'd love to hear about that journey of you learning about business and how that's taken you to this spot. Well, thank you again for your kind words. I mean, when I was, when I was in high school, I was like, I need financial freedom. I was living alone from about 15, 16 onwards. And so I had freedom and I wanted financial freedom. So I started promoting nightclubs in the UK Sick. and I'd lie about my age, but I was like, okay, cool. Let me bring a bunch of people and I'd make bank because we'd be promoting very high-end nightclubs. So I was like, cool, there's just an opportunity there 
to make a bunch of cash. And I think as a teenager, you want that freedom and yeah. money can often represent that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, how am I going to do this? So I ended up doing that, which was great because then I could also take my friends to all these clubs four nights a week. So it was a great time, a lot of great music. We danced, life was good. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I had the wonderful benefit of working with an amazing manager when I was very young. So I yeah. learned a lot there as well. Just progressing, I think you kind of ultimately just do what it takes. And I think that's generally where I've operated from, probably just very dogmatically of going, I want it. And then obsessively just going for it. And I remember deciding to come tour the States and it was like, shit, we need a visa. And so I was like, okay. So for two weeks, I just, I didn't sleep and just figured it out, got us visas and we came out. And I remember it being a very grueling process and intense two weeks. And looking back, I'm just like, yeah, it was very, you know, I'd wake up, bust my laptop open and not get out of bed and just sit there until 8 p.m. Yeah. I was like fasting every day, not realizing, yeah. but I'd just be like on it obsessively it. going, going. And I think that's definitely the power of passion. It's definitely the power of, you know, being obsessive about the thing that you love. Yeah. But it's not necessarily sustainable for your whole life because then you start having relationships. Mm -hmm. So your relationships with people who want to spend time with you, you've got to be present for the people that you love. And I was like, okay, now I have to balance this. Wow. And so all of this to say, it became about managing emotions, managing time and being very, very deliberate about where your time goes and, and how to make the most of the time that you have. So obviously we can talk about the same tropes, idioms, or even just patterns that we get into in terms of, you know, are you busy or are you productive? Yeah. Are you in alignment or are you doing things because you should do them? Right. How true are you being to yourself? Right. And so with all of that, I would say that it was a lot of, I guess, just raw, like, I want to get this done. And then I was very lucky to come out and have firsthand experience young from, again, doing these tours and meeting amazing artists. Yeah. I learned a lot from the musicians I played with. So Tim, who yeah. I mentioned doing yeah. my demos, taught me a tremendous amount. He was a fair bit older than me. And um, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot from him. Very lucky to be surrounded by wonderful people. And then when it comes to, to Web3, I just had to, I found myself in a situation of just having to do it. I knew I wanted to do these tours. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where to find a manager mm -hmm. at a certain point. I was like, I don't even know where to look. Like I lucked into this first guy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll just do it. And then tried to find a manager. It didn't fully work out. And I was mm. like, fuck, okay, well, I'll just keep doing this stuff. Mm. So again, figuring out as you go. Can I pay you a quick compliment? A lot of the things that you're saying are like fundamental Andrew life tenants. And <laughs> you're articulating them so well, but like that feeling of like a lot of the themes that I'm hearing in your life, you're just like, okay, we'll just go do it. Right. Yeah. Why am I feeling bad? I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And you're going to do it. You're going to do the things to make you feel better. I always think to myself, what is the thing I want? Why am I feeling good? Why am I feeling bad? What is causing that? What would fix it if I'm feeling bad? What would add to it if I'm feeling good? And you answer it as fast and simply as you can. Oh, great. I why, love like, that. Why am I feeling bad today? I'm upset because this person had a really weird interaction with me and I'm actually rather sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And that represents this, this, and this. Okay, well, what would make it feel better? Well, if I had a conversation with them and we cleared that up, I'd feel better. All right, well, that's what you got to do. Yes. Why am I feeling bad? Uh, I don't have health insurance and I'm afraid to go out and do anything because of America's healthcare society. All right, well then I guess you'd have to figure that out. Oh, that's scary. It's giving me anxiety. I know it's annoying. Read all of these pages, read this Reddit, Google this, you're going to get there, right? I'm hearing that a lot in your story and it's so fucking cool. 
even like it, like just in every bit of it. So like that, and then I always would say good problems. So it's like, you're talking about stress and all that, but like you've given yourself a life where you've given yourself good problems. Well said all of the above. And I yeah. love, I love the way you articulated that. Yeah. And it made me think, um, two things, which is, so number one, there is always a truth of a situation. Mm. And number two, fuck, I forgot. That's ah, Okay. Number one, <laughs> there is always the truth of a situation. Yeah. And number two, if you're in doubt and if there's confusion or if you're unsure, get more information. Oof. The main reason I think we suffer in life is because we have an idea of who we are in our heads, mm -hmm. our ego, our self-esteem, what we identify with. Mm. When something we do in life mm. challenges that, mm. what we do is, for example, there's a parent and they might get really frustrated with their kid and smack their kid. And then the parent's like, shit, I just hit my child. Right. I sp spanked them on the ass, whatever you did. Like, yeah. I, I'm not a person that hits my kids. I can't believe I did that. Yeah. The event has passed. They go and apologize to their kid. And they're like, I'm really sorry um, that I smacked you. I feel terrible. And the kid's like, it's okay. I love you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, the apology has been made. Mm. However, you then spend the next week mm. going in circles between blame and justification. Mm. So then it's like, okay, well, I mean, my kid was just being a brat anyway. And like, uh, oh, and then it's like, no, 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 I feel bad. I feel bad. But that's not the case. Or it's like, well, I was just having a really hard day. The events passed. You've apologized to your child. It's in the past now. But you spend the entire week obsessively going in loop, trying to tell yourself that nothing happened because mm. the fact that you did something that your sense of self can't reconcile with who you think you are, mm. you end up in dissonance. Yeah. So you try and fix the dissonance and you do that by blaming mm. or by justification. Right. Instead of just going to truth. So if you go to truth of like in that moment, I wasn't the parent that I think I am. I wasn't my best self. And yeah. the truth is I did something that I feel shit about. Mm -hmm. I didn't show up as my best self. I feel shit. I'm going to feel shit and then move through it. Mm. At that point, you're able to let go. Mm. If you refuse to accept the truth or look at the truth of the situation again, and I find this with, with most situations and most people and most causes of pain yeah. is not wanting to acknowledge that that's actually who you were in that moment. Yeah. And so again, you'll blame and you'll justify and go in circles until you stop and say, that's the truth. And, and the truth will set you free. I've encountered people, you know, we'll have conversations and they'll tell versions of the truth mm -hmm. or they'll be dishonest. Mm. If I point that out, I've had people be like, well, no one's ever said that about me before, or that's not true. And have a hard time reconciling it or say that's interpretation. Mm. And I'm like, well, there's these words and there's this situation and they don't, I mean, I'm not going to go on that tangent, but right. anyway, long story well, yeah. short. Yeah. No, I just, I like, I like, you have a very, again, I hate using words. I hate using the wrong words in the podcast, but I think pragmatic is the word I'm looking for. But like, I like the way that you just objectively look at things and break that down. And it was very impressive. And I was saying all of that because you were starting to talk about web three. And I think that that's another thing that can be very daunting. And I feel like you kind of looked at that in like a very objective way. So you started to figure that out, out of necessity? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I tried to buy my first Bitcoin when I was, well, it was in 2012. Sick. And it was like, go to the red telephone box under the train station, mm. send your money to the Japanese exchange. And then six weeks later, they'll send you your keys. And I was like, I'm on tour. I'm not going to be here in six weeks. I'm mm. a child. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. So I was like, okay. And I just followed along. And then my brother got into blockchain in 2015. And mm. so it was just, it's been an interesting journey of discovering the tech and being in it for a while. And during the pandemic, I wasn't on tour mm -hmm. and I was just looking at different applications. And 
at a certain point, I was like, I'd really like to make music NFTs. Mm. And about a month later, I saw Blau start to talk about doing something. And this was mm. beginning of 2021. Mm. It was New Year's into January. And he was going to do a drop. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So let's give this a shot. I ended up um, selling the first ever guitar solo NFT on the blockchain. No way. So I was like, let's just fucking try this. Let's have some fun. And there were so many firsts. We were yeah. so early. It was just like, we'll have some fun with it. Yeah, yeah. But what was interesting was just seeing the utility behind the tech. Mm. And blockchains always had its uses. There's also a dark side to blockchain sure. where obviously everyone's completely trackable. Right. And everything is moved to a digital sphere. So yes, at that point... There are private blockchains, there's privacy, but regulation can always affect how the blockchain is going to be used mm. um, or decentralized ledger tech in general. So all of this to say that I started just seeing opportunities in someone who'd been monetizing my music independently and finding different revenue streams and ways to monetize and helping other artists do it. Um, I got called by a tech company called Nachi, like Fibonacci's Golden Ratio, to come in and basically be artist in residence and help flesh out some of the AI leverage tech they were building for the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, so I'd been running businesses in music mm. and again, finding ways to monetize. So I was like, ah, cool, here's some tech. It's AI leveraged. Can we tweak these and shape these for the music industry? So we started doing that together, which was awesome. And then as Web3 came around, mm -hmm. or at least as the pandemic allowed me yeah. to focus on more utility and use right. cases. Has continued to evolve. In Web3. Yeah. yeah, it continued to evolve. We were focused on that anyway. And our tech build products to help artists navigate, which is awesome. We've been building yeah. a whole artist suite to help yeah. disrupt the music industry in helpful ways for artists. Yeah. And so Web3 was kind of a next progression as the tech was there. I was like, ah, mm. oh, why don't we try putting this here? And why don't we try doing that? And it kind of progressed into this can be massively helpful if we use smart contracts and NFTs mm -hmm. to help the way musicians run their businesses, to help mm -hmm. the way they sell their assets. Mm -hmm. Before web two, before the internet, we had so many different things that musicians were doing. Mm -hmm. Soon as we moved to web two, we're no longer selling CDs. We're not really doing fan clubs. We're trying to do Patreon. There's so many different things that changed and avenues of monetization that disappeared. Mm. Now we move into web three we can monetize those again in a way that's much easier for the artist and we're able to automate parts of the process. So what you get is you get artists being able to manage their business more easily yeah. with Web3 tech. They're able to pay people more easily because oh you God. can automate payments. Songwriter splits, royalties. All that yeah. shit. You don't yeah. need to then be like, oh, I need to go and do a deal with this company and that company. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and then I need to sign up to 15 different apps because each app does something different. Right. So we basically started building a platform about a year and a half ago, which helps all of the stuff we've been doing in Web2, all of the stuff I've been doing with my own music businesses and helping other artists. And then I found myself at a super lucky intersection mm. of the music side of things and the business mm. side of things and the yeah. music network that we have. Right. And being deep in Web3 tech and the utility of Web3 tech and yeah. going, let's put these two things together and luckily existing at the intersection, which gives us that perspective. Yeah. So a lot of Web3 companies are looking for adoption and yeah. a lot of artists are looking for Guidance tech that can and, help. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so we've built, we've built a platform and in the meantime, we've just been consulting for artists and brands over the last few years on how to move their businesses into Web3. Yeah. I mean, something I say often is, is stop 
trying to sell an NFT. It's like going to someone with a CD and being like, hey man, you want to buy the CD? Oh yeah, it's and like someone's selling like, a Warp Tour line. You don't even have headphones. You're like, here's a CD. Well, not even that. It's just, it's the concept of like, do you want to buy a CD? And someone's like, well, what's on it? And you're right. like, but it's a CD. Oh, I'm like, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, do you're I like, even like what's on the CD? Yeah, what the fuck is the point? Yeah, but it is, it's here. It's and a CD. And so I think when you're like, buy NFTs, Something I talk about a lot is like, what are you actually selling? Right. And why are you selling it? You have huge companies. Light bulb moment. It's not, you're not saying, I made my my artist, my tat NFT, and it says tat, all fancy. It's, I have something really valuable that I've created, and I would love a way to distribute it for the people that deserve it. And the utility well, that an NFT is, is that. Yes, essentially. And the people who deserve it or the people who want it simply, yeah. you know, like if you think about your thousand true fans, yeah. right? So right now, musicians have plenty of people that listen to them passively, mm -hmm. but there'll always be a pocket of fans that love you, that want to go to every show, that want to connect with you, that wait for your music. You know, you're kind of diehard fans. Mm -hmm. Essentially, if you think about, you know, the popularized model of a thousand true fans, yeah, which if I you love. have- a thousand fans yeah. or a thousand true fans that buy a concert ticket, two t-shirts and a hoodie a year. For example, they'll spend a hundred dollars on you in a yeah. year. Yeah. You'll be able to make a hundred thousand dollars a year off yeah. those thousand true fans. Right. And what's great about that is you're then able to make a sustainable living by giving value to the people who love it and want it. Yep. You can make a living yep. and you can keep making music. Right. That's become incredibly difficult because Spotify, mm. you could have someone who discovered you yesterday and someone who's been listening to you for 10 years. Yeah. They both fall in love with the same song. They listen to it a bit obsessively. They put it on repeat and they both generate the same amount of income. Mm. There are very few avenues for your diehard fans yeah. to connect with you and to experience exclusive drops you might do, unique shows you might do. Mm. You have to go through a lot of different processes. So setting up your own concert, going through Ticketmaster, going through that. different processes, that. whether it's um, Spotify and exclusive songs, are you going through your distributor or do you have to put it on Bandcamp? There's always something yes, that, uh, like a medium or an app that you have to go through. Yes, With Web3, you can be like, if you buy this NFT, mm. I can basically send anyone who has an NFT a free song whenever I want. I can right. send them free tickets to a show. I can basically just say anyone who has this because of yeah. Web3 tech. Yeah. There are ways to manage that, which make it simpler. Man. I think a lot of people are still missing the fact that this is a utility that can help utility. your business. See, and that I think, again, I think you're further along, but I fully embrace all of this Web3 movement and everything. And Wow, why I get so excited about it in music is I had firsthand experience seeing specific business verticals that are completely fucked and broken right now. Mm -hmm. So I think about artists that are going on tour and I think about companies like Ticketmaster, like that. You go out on tour and your fans spend sixty to a hundred dollars to see you or buy a ticket, right? You're not getting anywhere near that. You're getting maybe a flat rate guarantee or maybe getting some type of negotiated ticket sales door deal or threshold on percentage. But you're also relying on all sorts of other people's backend systems and random service fee policies that's just fucking everyone. Like it's a meme, right? Like Ticketmaster service fees are literally a meme. <laughs> So when you have Web3 utility, right, that just cleanly shows you who bought this, where is it going, how much was it, build the percentage that goes to this, 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 and it's done. There's no fiddling with it. That to me is real utility.
royalties and mechanical royalties and songwriter royalties and splits. Nobody has that figured out very well right now, right? Like maybe you make a distro kit account if you're an indie artist and you like set up the splits and people make the accounts. But then if you're signed to a major, it's absolutely fucked and it has to go through a thousand different publishing companies. Things like that to me that by firsthand experience are so inherently broken that's where I get excited yeah. for, for Web3 and blockchain and like specific NFT integration. I don't really view it as like, a oh, here we have to change this all and make this new thing. And I don't really understand how it works. It's more to me, here's this new thing that'll solve problems that have been inherently broken ever since music went digital. That yes. to me is kind of how I'm excited. But I really can't say like, that's as far as I go. I'm like, I look forward to this. Have I solved these problems? No. But anybody that's working towards it, I'm in. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I came up through the fundamentals of the tech itself. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because Web3 is kind of divided between people who came up through the tech and came up through utility. Mm -hmm. Investors who might be passive investors who are like crypto, Dogecoin, make a quick buck. Right. And then kind of NFTs where people are like, yo, NFTs. And, I, and it's interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people in NFTs on Twitter, for example, yeah. who who don't actually understand a lot of the fundamentals of the tech. Interesting. And it's simply because there is a divide. It's art, it's collectibles, Whoa. it's understanding your MetaMask and buying Ethereum, et cetera, but not then going deeper. And that's okay. It's just a different interest, right? You don't wow. have to know you don't have to know how the internet works to use it, right? I was doing what you were doing. I was assuming that everybody saw Wednesday as green. I was like, well of course if you're buying an NFT, <laughs> you understand the I mean to yeah, to yeah. some degree, yes. And it's not to say that people don't understand anything. That's not but what no, I mean. But no, you're right. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that if somebody's gonna partake in one element of that, that they're gonna fucking become experts in it. Well it's it is inherently complicated to kind yeah. of wrap your head around the the beginnings of it and the basics of it. But essentially it's called Web3 for a reason, right? We had the first version of the internet, which was text back and forth. Yeah. Then we had Web2, which is now we can stream media, YouTube, and now we're going into Web3, which is essentially having cryptographic proof and being able to have verification on it, being able to authenticate digital assets. So as the whole world moved to digital, yeah. how are we authenticating anything digital? Well, now right. we can do that with this new version of the internet. Yeah. So if we think about it, it is kind of like being in the early days of the internet where people are going, it's cool and I can kind of see what it does, yeah. but I don't understand what what it can serve or what the potential is. Completely. And we can't even front, like we know, like even being interested in it and taking time to research, it's like the person that was embracing email and sending emails, right? And writing a blog in the nineties, like that's not really like they couldn't, even if they fully embraced it, they couldn't tell you where it was going to go. They couldn't tell you that Google was going to become this mo most powerful thing ever, right? Like there's no way to know what it gets to, but it's just the idea that like, oh, wow, this thing could really add value all around as it continues to evolve. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting because like I said, there's there's uh, almost a, a protopian direction we can go in mm -hmm. and a bit of a dystopian direction. Fuck, that's true. And I think like anything, like AI, it's what we make it. Yeah. We, Us as humans, if we're going to mirror AI on who we are as humans, it's going to be dependent on who we are if it's learning from yeah. us. And the same is true for anything we create. It's just that when new tech innovation like this comes around, we have an opportunity to take part in shaping it at the beginning. Wow. And that's what's super interesting. So because we've been through the internet and we've seen, we're now a lot more fluent and understanding of the extent of a worldwide web mm -hmm. and how people can connect. When we look at web three, 
we can see metaverse, we can see projections. We're learning from a, a higher step, for example, on what this can be and mm -hmm. anticipating. I think over the 20th century, humanity learned to anticipate the impossible in a way. Mm -hmm. Because technological feats have taken such leaps, mm -hmm. we are able to look at things and go, it's not impossible that in 10 years time, we are a lot more immersed in metaverses, for example, and mm -hmm. they're a lot more commonplace, or in five years time, for example. So we've seen tech become smaller, cheaper, faster, and yeah. we expect and anticipate this too. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say that it's the new version of the internet, there are a lot of use cases for it. Mm -hmm. And what's awesome is now being able to see at least us building our platform is going, we know what we want to do to help disrupt the music industry. Yeah. Because decades ago, it was all about the music and yeah. the artists were just being musicians. And a lot of the time they got taken advantage of by the business side. Yeah. And now artists are all fucking business. Yeah. They barely have the time to make music Whoa. anymore. So we're able to make platforms and tech to help bridge that gap. Yeah. Give artists their time back to be musicians, give fans cool shit that they can buy, more ways to interact with their favorite artists yeah. in ways that feel fucking awesome. Like you can give ridiculous value to people, which is something yeah. I'm a massive fan of. Make the experience great, but not at the expense of your art, of your mental health, of your yeah. sanity, yeah. which is what a lot of artists are doing now. Yeah. It looks like people are doing really cool shit, but most artists are miserable, suffering and not knowing how they're gonna pay their rent unless they're in that, you know, I think it's, what is it? Less than, it's 0.2% of artists Fuck, is make, make $50,000 or more no. on streaming royalties. No. So, so it's to make $50,000 as an artist on streaming, you know, you're, you're in a in very, like very small percentile. But people think, oh, I see you on social media, you must be raking it in. Right. Now, I'm very lucky, for example, to write soundtracks um, for movies, commercials, for others like producing. I'm you very found lucky other to- other ways to use your skill. Yeah, I mean, it's something I, I fell into and got asked to do different projects and it kind of just happened and thankfully they pay well. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we all joke about the checks that we get, the fucking yeah. $2 checks you might get in the mail. Right. And it's it's commonplace. So I think that that's something a lot of people don't realize is how hard it actually is right. to be a musician in this day and age and the things you have to do just to survive. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot we can do for musicians and super excited to roll out. I think that's so cool. And it, to me, it comes back to, to like the way that you were explaining getting a visa is like, you just did the thing. Like yeah. I, I've been reluctant to talk about anything Web3, NFT, Metaverse on the podcast, just because I don't like to speak without any type of like authority or just speculation. I like to add something real. And I, I feel comfortable talking about it with you because you've put in the hours and you're actively participating in it. You're not just talking about it, you're being about it. So I feel like that's that's why I'm so excited to have any of this conversation with you. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, thank I you I mean, for fingers sharing. crossed. It's so funny because there's so much interesting, innovative tech out there. Yeah. Um, and essentially, you know, it's just whatever the tech you're using, whatever you're doing, it's still just running a business, you know, whether you're selling milk or whether you're selling cotton jumpers or whether you're, you know, building a platform, ultimately it's still the same thing. And, and we watch a lot of platforms and a lot of tech come out that could have a lot of promise. And, yeah. you know, it's like anything, all the pieces have to be there. So I think we still have several years of the tech evolving yeah. of people who are coming up with innovative tech successfully mm. pushing their businesses through to be able to sustain, mm. live through a bear market, manage, like it's very difficult. Mm. 
but we have about five years. And again, I encourage anyone who, who wants to create something to look into it, because if you think it's going in a dark direction, you can create something cool yeah, that, that's positive. That's a really special part that you brought up. I really like that because to me, I kind of, as you were saying it, I was like, I, if I'm sitting on the sidelines being like, I can't wait to see what it does. That's a little irresponsible. And the idea of like, if it's still figuring out what it does and I have a genuine interest and I want to add positivity to it and I'm speaking I as anybody that's interested in a thing, getting involved and trying and adding to the conversation is actually helpful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely like to encourage people to get involved, but obviously, you know, it, do whatever you feel comfortable in yeah. and, and happy doing. And it's not necessarily aligned, you know, with everybody's passion. Sure. Yeah. It's not like listen to this podcast and now you have to go fucking buy Ethereum and figure out. <laughs> go fucking buy it. No, don't go buy it. Like yeah. fuck off. But I just think, I mean, it's, it's representative of so much more than anything web three, right? It's just like this idea of like, if you're interested in something or if, if there's any type of curiosity by getting involved, even if you don't know, if you want to add something positive to it, you're actually doing maybe more than you realize in a positive direction. That's a pretty cool lesson to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, uh, I love that point and I'd echo it for everything in life. I think ultimately it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and sometimes want to say something, want to do something. Yeah. And the one thing I would say for all of us, which I, we all feel and we all know inherently to some degree is, you know, you feel something in any given moment, yeah. whether you feel like you want to act on something or you feel like you want to say something, or you feel like you want to start a project. The moment we let thought or doubt creep in between the space of like that spur of the moment and the inspiration that could lead to action, mm. we've already lost that moment. Ooh. So I think it's, it's very important to whatever you do in life, if you feel it, you know, give yourself a try. Yeah. Like just, just give it a shot and see where you go. You know, I knew that I was killing every dinner party during the pandemic because people were like, can you explain <laughs> mm -hmm. blockchain and mm -hmm. I was like oh no because every question will beget 10 more questions yeah, yeah. and then everyone at the dinner table is like fucking shoot me it's yeah. a boring ass tech and yeah. I'm like I don't know how to stop because you keep right. asking questions and like <laughs> yeah. I want to help you understand Right. so I was like I'm just going to do a TikTok and it took me months to start making videos but I was like fuck it just, just do it and I found that anytime my gut has ever wanted to do something mm. wanted to crack a joke wanted to flirt with someone, whatever it is, yeah. when you feel that inspiration, just grab it and run with it. Like when you want to write a song and you have an idea and you have a melody, don't stop and be like, I'm going to make a cup of tea, fucking grab it and run yes. with it. And I'd say that that's, that to me is one of the most exciting things in life is we actually get to do that. I think we forget, you know, yes, life is hard. And yes, most people are living paycheck to paycheck and living and paying rent and finding your dreams, let alone following them can be hard as fuck. Yeah. And a lot of people are still trying to figure out who they are and how they feel. And I think that that's one of the quickest ways to doing it is just whatever you feel, act on it and get, maybe give yourself a month and go, whatever I do in this month, I'm going to forgive. Yeah. I'm going to allow myself to experiment and whatever the fuck comes to you, mm. as long as it's not hurting anybody else, just do it, go for it and see where you end up. Mm. Damn, that's a mic drop moment for the <laughs> to conclude that. Yeah. <laughs> I always joke about that. You're the first person. I'm always like, should you fucking drop this microphone? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Um, yeah, and I was also I was gonna say like to to fully conclude like the shameless plug of obviously you are an artist and you're creating a bunch of stuff. You said that you have a TikTok where you really dig into 
mostly things, all things crypto, metaverse, NFTs. Mm. Uh, so on that side, where can people find that? But then also where can people keep up with uh, some of your music and what you've been up to there? Yeah. So the TikTok is TDM Crypto. My name's Tatiana Dimaria, so it's my initials, Crypto. I made a separate channel because I didn't want to bore all my music fans to tears. Respect. I with, think that's smart. With um, Nerd Talk. Yeah. yeah. So it's for anyone looking to understand Web3 or, you know, blockchain, crypto, anything in that space, feel free to go check that out on TikTok. And then in general, I mean, I'm speaking at a bunch of different conferences coming up. So if anyone's at those, Decentral in Miami, for example, Sick. coming up, but then musically, I'm excited because the pandemic is finally passed. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to tour again. So yeah. I'm finishing up my EP yeah. and my album. Um, I do have an NFT drop. I'm calling it an NFT drop, but Sick. it's uh, given the context of the conversation, I've got a bunch of new music coming out. So I'm super excited and I'm excited to get back on the road and tour again. Yeah. So 2023 will be a lot of that. And then, you know, hopefully we're able to roll out our platform and new more drops um, soon. So I'm excited about that too. Wow. So that's like really the space you'll be in is like, you're going to continue to be the artist you are and write music and create, but you'll also continue to push forward and pioneer ways to distribute that and embrace all things Web3. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, just necessity being the mother of all invention, I think definitely sums up just my path of just going, fuck, let's figure this out. I embrace help. I embrace um, partnerships. I embrace yeah. anyone who wants to help that space grow. Yeah. Um, I think maybe what you're saying though, is like you embrace all of that, but you're also not going to sit around and wait for it. Like if you don't get that, that doesn't mean you're not going to dig curiosity. Like you're not going to dig curiously and figure it out yourself. To look at a standard saying of, you know, we regret the things we don't do more than the things we do do. Yeah. And I would say that experimenting and just trying things, whether they fail or not, is the best way to get them out of your system Yeah, and to give yourself a try. Ugh. So you could be like, I really want to do this thing, but I'm not good enough. And humans love to live in perfection and potential. Yes. Potential is so much safer yeah. than reality. In yeah. your head, this fucking project that you're going to do one day looks amazing. Mm -hmm. As soon as you mm -hmm. try to put it into reality, you realize it's hard. The road is a lot longer than you thought. Yes. And this vision of perfection can start to wane and you really have to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah. But with that said, I would say that's no reason to stop. Yeah. Like if you have doubts, try and find your way through the doubts. Don't ever let doubt be the thing that stops you. Mm. Find mm. your way through the doubt by getting more information, by by learning more skills, by becoming more competent. Um, because again, competence breeds confidence. But essentially, yeah, I think I've wanted to try things. All the things I haven't tried, I've regretted not trying. All the things I have tried, if they didn't work, I'm like, I got that out of my system. It's now not occupying any space in my mind, yeah. which is a massive relief. I'm yeah. like, oh, I really oh wanted to God, do this. Right? I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. And then you don't do it, but it's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. You do it. It doesn't go the way you want. Great. I never have to think about that again. Ugh. On to the next thing. And it's Church. it's liberating. So yes. fucking yes. Fail faster. Go fail. And I think it's hard. There's so many yeah. people watching videos on the internet and making videos saying fail, fail better, yeah. fail faster. But one thing I will highlight around that is because when you do, yeah. it takes the option off the table yep. and it frees that bandwidth. Not that the project stops, yep. but you might try it now a different way or you might try something else, yep. but it closes an application. It's also time. I look at time, that as time. Time, energy, time, yes. Time is our most valuable thing that we have. And if you spend an extra week thinking what if, 
right? On the good or the bad. Yes. What if you have lost a week? Yeah. If you find out the bad, at least you now have a week to make the good. Yeah. Or if you find out the good a week sooner, you're a week ahead. But like the what if, like you literally just lost a week. Yeah. And like then when you're fucking old and you, the one thing you don't have, you're rich as shit, you don't have time. So yeah. like that's that's the thing that has made me jump at the moments of uncertainty more is just like every a minute that I don't, I'm losing time. 100%. Yeah. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I yeah. think that on the same subject of time, we can also have that paradox of, of thinking that you have to do everything so young mm. and being like, well, time is really valuable. Therefore, time is the only thing I have. Therefore, I have all this pressure to do stuff young. Oh, fuck. And I, I you know, remember being, you know, having my album or my, my records coming out and I was super young and we were on radio and we were independent. And, you know, I'm this young teenager and everybody's same things that you'd say, right? Like it was just, oh my God, you're so young and you're a prodigy and what, whatever happens at that time when you see a kid doing something or completing a task and seeing it through and, and it seems to work at the time. But all of that to say that life is long, as much as it's incredibly short and time mm. is incredibly valuable. Yeah. This is the only thing we have to do here is live it. So my point is a lot of people who rush to do things young I, I love to look at balance in life because things always balance themselves out. Fuck. It's very rare that someone will achieve something extremely young and then continue to achieve at that level mm. for the rest of their life. Mm. Achieving something young does not mean you will keep achieving like that for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, a lot of the time people will achieve something young, be burdened by the stress, burn out a bit, have five or six years in their twenties where they're figuring out who they are again and, and look at any kind of successful pop star that's gone through this, this process, right? They've exploded so young. You think, wow, what a bright light, what a prodigy, what a thing, whatever bullshit you want to attribute to it. And not bullshit. Like it's great to see people achieving awesome things, yeah. but it's always a balance. You still have to get to terms with your own emotions, get to terms with your own stress, understand yeah. your mind, your alignment, people around you, your health. So whether you achieve something crazy at the age of 17 or 35 or 45, whatever your path is, be cool with it. Like it's okay. Mm. Just, just make sure that when you wake up, mm. you are doing what's in alignment with yeah. you. Yeah. Do the shit. Like if it doesn't feel good, and I know this is going to sound too generalistic, but in in the in the right contexts, or at least in a lot of contexts, this has been true for me. If it doesn't feel good, yeah, you're not doing it right. Wow. And by that, I mean, if I'm sitting here trying to make a decision on something, and I don't have, I'm like, I don't know, I'm just really stuck. But I keep trying to push my way through this problem. I'm not doing it right. Wherever there is pain and resistance, I'm like, okay, what am I not doing right? I don't know the choice. I'm undecided. How am I doing something wrong? Well, at that point, what can I do right? Well, I can go get more information yeah. or I can go get more advice. Or if the advice is all coming back with, I don't know, can I get more information? And if it's simply I'm undecided because I've realized that I can't make a decision because I'm not I actually don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I want. A minute, whatever it is. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, so it doesn't feel good because what I'm not doing right is is living in a place of full alignment where when these things come up, I'm able to pick based on a gut feeling. And I know that sounds a bit fucking meta and, and it's a bit like, oh, well, you know, don't be a fucking hippie. And like, but no, no, there just is so much power in being aligned and really just knowing how you feel about things. Yeah. 
we're always like, oh, but I should do this and this will get me here and it will get me there. And it's just like, mm. you might be looking at a bunch of shit you fucking hate mm. and don't want to do. There's a shit side to every job. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things as a musician I don't necessarily want to do, yeah. but I do because it's worth it. Right. I really like that. And I, you, what I took away from that is just like, it's this wonderful balance. Like so much about you is like the, the quickness of like, cool, go do it. Don't waste time. Don't live in the maybe. However, the alignment and like the balance of knowing that and being like, Hey, there's time. Like don't live like a psychopath that feels like you're going to die tomorrow. Cause you're just going to be rushed <laughs> and stressed. But like, yeah, I don't know. You are, I think, I think you, you really did encapsulate that concept well and the balance awesome. of both of those. And I love it. And Thanks, I thank man. you for doing this show. And I feel like we scratched the surface. I feel like there's still so much more that you're up to and so much more as a person, but I think that this was a really wonderful little picture of it all. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure and it's really nice to sit and chat. I loved a bunch of the things that you said and how you said them. And I definitely resonate. Likewise. I think part of the reason we got along is we're yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, think the same. And it's funny, just the fact that you did Warp Tour 2 and, yeah. and had that experience, it's definitely a unique tour to do. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a bonding point for anyone who's done it because it's it's an understanding of an awesome space. Yeah. It teaches you grit, teaches you to work hard. I loved it, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I really, really loved it. Yeah, you made me think one thing as well when we were talking, which was when I was a kid, we did the sewing class in school. And I can't remember how old I was. I was probably about nine. We had to sew, choose a saying and sew it onto a pin cushion. And mine was, you can't get blood out of a stone. Um, and a friend of mine had less haste, more speed. And so our conversation made me think of that in terms of less haste, more speed. Like, you know, you yeah. can either try and cram things in and be stressed and scatty all the time, or you can be clean and make sure you achieve little things every day that will grow to your goal. But those two pin cushions really, really, they really stayed came with me. back. Yeah, wow. I'm like, can't get blood out of a stone or, you know, less haste, more speed. Fucking A. I love so sewing that. classes work, teachers. Keep them up. There it is. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, man. It's been such a pleasure. This was amazing. Wow.